0: We're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number 1 Yes we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number 1 Hello you are listening to Battle Red radio i'm matt weston and this evening i'm joined by jordan as you know as texans thoughts and kenneth l how are you guys doing tonight
1: doing pretty
2: good how about you go doing well back in houston under this crazy quarantine but you know safe and sound
0: yeah talk about this uh, little get up that you had to, to make your airplane flight nice and safe and cozy
2: yeah, so I'm in the I'm in the Bay Area working right now and you know, decided to surprise my surprise my mom, surprise the family. Uh, so got on a seven AM Easter flight and put on gloves and then I I had like a good, good old mask and then put like a ski like it covers like my face, my ears, nose and everything. So it I it looked absurd, but it got the job done and I just got and so you get into the plane. Everyone sitting by the windows, and I just took a took a Benadryl and sat and passed out and ended up in Houston. But glad glad to be back. And uh it's so much more humid here.
0: Yeah, it's it's been nice because here in Central Texas, it was like, you know, it's been cold for the past four days and rainy, and it kind of feels like today that all that kind of broke, and it may just be ninety five degrees forever until October or so. So I think hopefully life goes completely back to normal. Uh, within like a month or so. And I think this weekend with the NFL draft, um, it's going to be a perfect weekend kind of for that to just kind of hang out inside and, and self-isolate and watch all these NFL GMs try to you manage Skype and Zoom and however it is they're going to make selections and uh, be throw, throw a nice monkey wrench into what's going to be kind of a, a funny draft to begin with. But before we kind of talked so for tonight's episode, we're going to talk about interior defensive line prospects. Last week, we talked about Uh, edge defenders in the 2020 NFL draft class. And last week, Bill O'Brien finally kind of addressed the media officially with a a Zoom meeting on his back porch where he talked about the Texas free agency, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, uh, the Michael Irvin baby mama reported comments. And he also talked about the Texans draft class briefly as well, too. And so this was his quote exactly. He said, again, if there's a bunch of players there that you think can fit your team, Maybe think about doing some other things within the draft. But I would say defensive line, we're looking at all the positions. Safety is another position I think we can add to. And so, Jordan, I know you've kind of looked at everybody aside from just the defensive line and have done a really great job like, looking at the entirety of the 2020 NFL draft. Um, do you think safety is actually a need for Houston? And could you see them you know drafting a safety at all, even though they have Tayshawn Gibson and Justin Reed and they gave Eric Murray uh, six million dollars a year and they also signed Jalen Watkins to play you know maybe for safety or whatever but primarily special teams
1: yeah I could possibly see it being um, a need for us because Reed and Gibson they played injured a lot all of last year and whenever they were out our defense our past defense would take a really big hit so I think getting another guy in there would be a big help I, I have no belief in Eric Murray playing any good snaps at us at all to be honest so I'm fine he's not even like a person I'm even like looking forward to it all, mm-hmm. so I think it could be a need, a need. I think that it also could be a, maybe it's a smokescreen. I don't know, I don't think anyone really does that if you're not drafting the first round. But maybe Bill O'Brien, he's still a little butthurt about the whole Andre Dillard fiasco last year, so he's trying to get back at that. Um, in terms of who we would take, I would probably the only safety if we're at 40, the only safety I would take is Grant Delpit. I don't think anyone else there is worth it. Um, so yeah, I think he's like a generational talent for me. I think if he falls there, which there's a chance, it's a slim chance, but there's a chance, um, if he does fall, I think you got to run that card in.
0: Yeah. It's weird. Cause I don't like Eric Murray at all either. And I don't, I wouldn't like, I still kind of feel like safety could be a need for Houston. Just you look at the talent out there and you know they played a lot of three safety sets last year too. And Julia Dye played lost snaps last year and uh, he got hurt. And so at least and Tayshaun Gibson was hurt. And so then you know when Mike Adams playing you know seventy five percent of the snaps in a divisional round playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs, and so like from a town perspective, I could see you know safety kind of be interesting, especially if you assume that well Gibbs only has maybe one more year, and then you can draft a safety and have him fill in it free, and then you have Justin Reed for one more year in his rookie contract. But the whole Murray thing kind of makes it seem like you know you already invested a, a, a significant like starting level payment for a salary in that position. And it just seems kind of bizarre to use number 40 with all the other problems on the with along the you know defensive line at the edge position to draft a safety that high but nothing can be really too surprising nothing really makes much sense at all anymore though.
1: Yeah, what do you think, Kenneth?
2: Yeah, honestly, it it would be a lot to invest in a with the 40th pick. Um I do love Antoine Winfield Jr. I think he is one of the best players on this uh, in this draft at the safety position. I like him way more than Delpit. There's too many instances for me where Delpit just, just like blows coverage or he misses a tackle that he should have made or he kind of leaps at players. And if you're leaping at players in the SEC, that means you're, you're missing at players in the NFL. Uh, I think he's going to be one of, I think Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to be one of those guys who really redefines kind of his role and is going to be one of those Tyra Matthew players who plays all of the field, is such an asset. It can really disrupt an offensive game plan. Um, I do think it's also a smokescreen. We have big, bigger issues. He sees how old J.J. Watt is. He sees the lack of depth all of a sudden on the defensive line and just gave someone in the NFL bait to trade in front of us to take a safety that we're not that interested in. Hmm. That's really
1: interesting because I don't know. At least for me, Delpit—he's kind of my guy at forty. If he's there, I'd even take him over some of the other guys we've like discussed. Like even Zach Bond. Like you guys know how much I love him. But if Delpit's there, I'd take him. I think one thing with him is like he's very scheme dependent, and with us, we've transitioned to more of like that cover one, cover three. Uh, defense where you need a single high safety to kind of take away those over the top balls and stuff like that, and, and I think that's like honestly the most important position in that type of defense. Getting someone like him and getting and delpit, yeah, he can't tackle, but as my single high guy, like I'll take that. I'll take that lack of tackling in terms of, um, and sorry, in return of like getting a bunch of interceptions, a bunch of pass breakups. Like I, I'll be fine with that. And Delpit, he's like a generational talent. Like he's a talent like him, or he's a true single-high safety that doesn't come around like very often. So I think if you have the chance, you just you really can't pass on him.
0: Is he kind of like an Earl Thomas sort of player, where as far as like his ability to go from like <coughs> the middle of the field to the sideline to defend the deep pass?
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think he's the best one in at least five years.
0: Interesting, because I you know, what's kind of weird about Houston's pass defense last year is you know they play a lot off man. And they played a lot of single high deep safety stuff as well too, and they actually had a really good deep pass defense, but they had the worst short pass defense by yards per attempt, and they were thirty first in short pass defense by DVOA, and these are targets that are less than fifteen yards through the air, uh, but their like deep pass defense was like around the top five or ten, where they really sold out to stop uh, the deep ball, but they just didn't have the horses to play man coverage underneath it all, and uh, and so it would be interesting if they did. Get somebody like that. And then, I mean, with the way Gibson's contract is set up too, that's a contract you can move on from pretty quickly. And, you know, if you kind of learn anything from last year, um, you know, having three having three really good safeties isn't that big of an issue. It's just, again, like the Eric Murray signing is just kind of like so bizarre uh, with these comments and also with how much he was paid and everything else as well too. Maybe they assume that he could play like slot corner, which he did a little bit in Cleveland too, but who knows after that. I, I really don't have a good feel at all for uh, the cornerback position this year.
1: Yeah, I think you, you hit it um, on the head there. We're, in terms of our deep pass defense, it's definitely something that we schemed up to um, to try and prevent those deep bombs. So I think if we did play a more aggressive press man defense, and if we had a, a roaming safety, like an Earl Thomas type, Grant Delpit, in the back, then that can kind of make up for people's mistakes. Then we can play more aggressive and kind of attack those like shorter areas that we've been bad at um in recent years. So I think that's another thing that Delpa can help with. And I think for me, I guess we're gonna talk about this later, but there's less and less defensive line prospects that I like at 40. So that's even more of like a had added benefit of just taking Delpha there and then getting the D line guys a bit later, maybe. Yeah, dipping
2: in the D line later. I'm also in, in intrigued by that.
0: Yeah, it's and in- I kind of felt like I think like, you know, thing about this team next year too. like, I think a cover three, you know, first to second down defense would work out really well for Houston. And I think for Lonnie Johnson, especially because I mean, Lonnie's Kentucky video wasn't very good. He was one of the worst cornerbacks in football last year, but he's like tall and fast and you know, he loses guys to the top of stems, that sort of thing that. You run into issues with playing man coverage, but I think he'd be a really good you know, boundary corner who uses the sideline to his advantage and plays in, plays in more of a cover three um, sort of defense instead of playing as much man off man coverage to they hate to play too. Because like, even though he's strong, he doesn't tackle all that well. He doesn't know how to press, press guys all that well either. And I think if you want to get the most out of Lonnie, playing more cover three would help out immediately. Um, for next season, they could put you know delpit you know if you think of him, and they drop him at forty at high, and then you put Reed at strong safety and help him the run on first and second down, and then you know third down, you go into your diamond nickel stuff but um it's an interesting idea, and like I think one of the things that is kind of one of the things that I have to tell myself every year of football too. Is that you know? Even though it's the draft's over, these teams aren't finished, and after free agency, teams aren't finished, and it kind of is like a consistent, you know, building of a uh, of a team until you know week one finally kind of arrives. Even though like the biggest decisions have already taken place too.
2: And you know, with the Texans, they're going to wait like I mean, last year. They waited all the way until right before week one to make the biggest deal of uh, the franchise's mm-hmm. history. So you <laughs> you never know what's going to be done.
0: Yeah, on the same day, right? Well, Clowney, I think Clowney and will happened the exact same day i think they, they were happened like within on a three Saturday. hours of each yeah. other
2: yeah i was i was at my grandparents house and like my phone just started shaking by the amount of chaos that was happening
0: <laughs> yeah it's yeah, kind of like the crazy. jfk assassination for texans fans where it's like for where te- were you when tonsil clowny <laughs> retired the same day and i think everybody will kind of remember that mm-hmm. where, where were you jordan on the tonsil clowny trade day
1: I remember I was at my girlfriend's house, and I think we were studying for a midterm or something, but I just remember it wasn't like an emotional roller coaster every day seeing the notifications popping up, and I just didn't know what to think i I wanted it to like not be true, but i just I guess I was just in denial for a while, and I was pretty upset the rest of that day it really it really stung me <laughs>
0: um so I know you kind of mentioned uh this Kenneth, and of you wrote about this as well too about Houston trading down. And so if you don't like, you know, the defensive line prospects here too, and even like at the edge position as well, um, if you don't particularly like this group and it is kind of Texans' biggest need, do you want Houston trade down from 40 and how likely do you think that happens?
2: Yeah, so I think the Texans will probably prioritize edge over interior line just because these guys aren't very different from each other. So someone that you may be able to get at 40 could also be there at number 60. The 40th pick has a lot of value, being early in the second round, that it's usually the most valuable place in the entire draft. So there's about 10 guys every year who have like first round grades, but for one reason or another get passed up, either due to raw talent or a better scheme fit or another reason. But having that 40th pick, I think is going to be really valuable. Um, I would be very interested if they traded back into like 52, and then maybe bring in like a third, fourth round pick to take advantage of those players in the, the early 100s um, and just kind of stock up in any way possible. Uh, it's going to be an interesting draft, to say the least. I, there's, I think there's next to chance that they trade up. Um, I think the only way that they trade up is later in the draft with three of those seventh-round picks and moving up, combining a couple of them, and going into the fifth or sixth round.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think i think the smart thing to do obviously is to trade down trying to accumulate another one of those third round picks fourth round picks um one thing that i've been doing is like these mock draft simulators and a funny trade that we that always works for me at least in terms of trade value is trading 40 for um the rams 57th pick which is the one that we gave yeah. them for cook. <laughs> and then we get like 84 or something like that and so that always seems to work for me and That would be really funny if we were to make that trade. I think I think trading down is a smart thing, but I don't I don't know. That be that Bill O'Brien's gonna do a smart thing. He never really does. So
2: I bet every GM is like, you know, I feel like if I want to make a trade and get something over some uh, over a team, Bill O'Brien's my first call. Yep. Yeah, and and, and
0: looking at the 2019 draft too, there were a lot of you know, kind of like solid players that were taken the middle to in the second round and. You know, from Greedy Williams, taken at 46. Uh, Eric McCord was taken at 48. Oh, yeah. uh, ben Benagu was taken at 49. He's got kind of like a potential guy, but Juwan he had Taylor. some flashes last year. Yeah, And then Sharping and Lonnie Johnson, Miles Sanders, who could be a running back one. Um, Nasir Adderley, you know, played a lot last year. And then Juan Thornhill was really great last year in Kansas City, until he got hurt. And Jimmy Garoppolo was too much of a coward to, to press the single safety deep <laughs> stuff that they did. And DK Metcalf was, of course, taken at the end of the second round. So, yeah, I mean, if you do trade down to, you know, the 50 or 60 or so even, you can still get a starter there and then get another pick that you lost because of the, the Conley trade and the um, Duke Johnson trade as well, too. So I'm kind of in favor, too, of trading down from 40 to, you know, in the mid-50s or 60 even, and then getting another pick so they don't go from, you know, 60 to, or they don't go from 40 to 90 and just kind of sit there and watch the entire time.
2: Yeah, my prediction for this draft is that because you hear about all these wide receivers, there's going to be a massive run in this early in the second round of all these guys like Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I, there's going to be a lot of really. I think Pittman will go early, um, so that'll be interesting to have the 40th pick. And if there's like six guys in front of us that are all wide receivers, someone will be clamoring to get a guy who's falling.
0: And that's kind of what happened last year too with the cornerback position, where the only one that was taken in the first round was over the Giants um, took the guy from Georgia. I'm blanking on his name right now. And then as soon as the second round yeah. started, there was you know, eight or nine cornerbacks taken. And uh, the, the whole position was completely like neglected in the first round. So maybe the same thing kind of happened in the wide receiver position where you'll have maybe three wide receivers taken in the first round and then there's 10 potential starters sitting there in the second round. And teams will kind of be like doing everything they can to get back up into there and make, make one of those picks. Exactly. So for the interior defensive line position, the top two guys are Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw. And personally, like I really love Derek Brown. I think he's, he's been my favorite player of watch so far of all these uh, kind of draft guys. He reminds me of Fletcher Cox, but like before Fletcher Cox gains, you know, thirty five pounds or so, like just like <laughs> look at his arms. Like his arms are maybe like a, a rotisserie chicken instead of a Thanksgiving turkey, and I think that could happen within you know three years or so of him. And uh, it's just. It's just like he's brutal and he's super athletic at the same time. And it's kind of amazing some of the plays he makes. Like that Florida game where he, you know, he strips sacks the quarterback and then picks it off and then picks up a 25-yard return on it at, you know, 315 pounds that he is. And I think he'll for sure go in the top 10. Um, is kind of interesting too. I think he's kind of like more up and down. He's really strong. And I think he's more of a defensive end than a, a defensive tackle. But like his video against Georgia was really great. And the one thing with him is he gets eaten up by double teams a lot. And so I think he'll probably be like a five tech at the NFL level, but you know, he's really strong and, and really great at that. Um, Jordan, what do you think about these two guys? Do you like think they're kind of slam dunk prospects? Um, Like everybody's kind of having them out to be right now at the moment.
1: I'm actually not as high on Derek Brown as the consensus. I think he's good. I think he'd probably be maybe a top 15, top 20 talent for me. Um, I just think, yeah, he's like a mountain of man. He's huge. He's really strong. He's great at being that. But I think he's more of like your one tech, the kind of guy to like take on um, double teams. He's I don't love him in the pass rush game. He's got a good bull rush. He's I guess he's pretty quick for his size, but he doesn't. he's not really good at like stringing moves together, I think. But I think he's pretty good overall. Um, for Kinlaw, I actually like him more than Brown, just because I think he's more of like your three tech who can get upfield and rush the passer. He can probably do some five tech stuff too, like you said. Um, I think he's, like, ridiculously quick, but also super strong. I love, like, his bull rush is ridiculous. Some of the, the clips I've seen on film, like, it's ridiculous. He, he just really knows how to, like, just get his hands inside someone's chest and just run them down to the quarterback, and it's crazy to see. And he, he dominated the Senior Bowl, too. I guess I really mentioned the Senior Bowl a lot. I'm not really a big Senior Bowl guy, but anyways... Um, yeah so i like both of those guys i think i have kinlaw over brown for me but i would i would love if kinlaw were to fall to us i don't think it'll happen he has some injury concerns so maybe there's a chance but i doubt it'll happen um yeah what about you what about you kenneth
2: i think Derek brown is a is what you call generational talent um i enjoy his film more than anyone else's uh watching him and marlon brown together was just so much fun um Auburn would put him at the five technique every now and then, and it, it just completely messed with teams because you couldn't tell who was coming from where, and it, it was just a fun thing that they were able to sprinkle in. Uh, I think Derrick Brown has such a good uh, bull rush move. It's really interesting to watch that kind of progress throughout this past year. Um, and I was watching some tape on J.J. Watt, and he was talking about how uh, you're, the linemen have to know that you have a strong bull rush first before they respect any of your other moves. Because if you beat them with your bull rush, then you can kind of push them into like using some of your swim moves and some of your cuts. So I think he has such a great foundation to build off of. I would not be surprised if he's an all-pro in two or three years. Um, Javon, I'm not too excited about him. I, I mean, he has so many raw talents, and he is very versatile. It'll take a really good defensive coordinator to make him turn into who he can be uh I mean, he has so many tapes where he just explodes past the person blocking him that'll be interesting when he's playing against a professional player i mean he dominated this entire year but he's going to be someone who i can see fading in the back for some teams but you know if he goes to a um it's going to be difficult but you know he goes to like a vikings he would run the defense
0: yeah if we want to talk about fits i would love to see Brown go to Carolina at seven because they lost their entire pass defense in oh, the yeah. entire season. And uh, he just seems like Vernon Butler and like, you know, Star Latule, where they drafted big on interior guys and didn't work out. I think he he uh, really could. And I would like to see Kinlaw go to maybe Miami 18. They have three first round draft picks and I think they'll take, you know, a quarterback with five. And then from there, just try to fill up and keep upgrading their pass defense. And they put a bunch of money in there. And the salary cap onto their on their defense with you know the Byron Jones signing, with the Kyle Van Nooy signing. And I think they will the I think like someone like Ken Lough, if he even falls to eighteen would be, you know, slam dunk for uh Miami there at pick number eighteen too. So for the rest of tonight's show, we're gonna kinda of go through some interior defensive line prospects that uh, work for Houston at pick number forty. So we're looking at guys who who can Houston pick up at forty, and maybe even possibly into you know the fourth round uh, when they pick again at ninety, and then maybe even potentially they trade back. They can maybe even get uh, in the late second round or even early third round as well too. Um, so like the way it kind of looks like is that Brown and Ken Lard be first round picks, and then after that. There seems like there's a bunch of five that could probably go in the second round, and then you're you're kind of like looking at mid-round draft picks. Uh, the next five are Neville Gallimore of Oklahoma, Raquan Davis of Alabama, Jordan Elliott of Missouri, Ross Blacklock of TCU, and Justin Matabuki of Texas A&M. I, I hope I said that. I, right, I probably didn't. And those aren't in any particular order, but that's how we're going to talk about them tonight. So we'll start with Neville uh, Gallimore first of Oklahoma. Um, he's 6'2", 304 pounds. He's a fifth year senior. He had thirty tackles, seven half tackles for a loss, four sacks, uh, last year at Oklahoma. So Jordan, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, you really like him. He's your favorite guy of the interior defensive line class. What do you like so much about him at as far as being interior defensive lineman at the next level?
1: Yeah, so I love Gallimore. He's one of the he's actually the only interior defensive lineman I'd take at forty. Don't really like him much of the other guys that that value. I love him so much because, number one, he's a great athlete. He's a really quick guy off the snap, and he's got a great burst, and he really knows how to use that to set up his moves. And he's also got really violent hands that he uses, like, clubs and swipes and swim moves for that. He's got a really wide pass rush repertoire. I really love his spin move. It's really nice. Um, So I think he's kind of like that finesse pass rusher where he used all those moves, but... Like I mentioned before, like having a bull rush is a really important thing, and I think that's the one thing that he can really work on. But yeah, I love Gallimore. I think he he could have even produced even better at Oklahoma if they used them correctly. They used them a lot at nose or at one tech trying to kind deal with like double teams. And just that entire Oklahoma defense, they were really weird how they how they ran the defense. Like They had the D-line slanting a lot and stuff, and I think that kind of took him out of what he does best. I think if he can just be put at three tech and just up against someone in on one block he's gonna he's gonna make a lot of success in the nfl
2: yeah that's the exact same thing with me i really enjoy his film um he was one of the people i came on to later but the more and more i watched him you know it was really difficult and y'all know me for to watch him sack sam ellinger and, and really disrupt texas um so Oklahoma two years ago had one of the worst defenses in college football. This year, with him and Kenneth Murray, they take a massive step forward, and you know they were they were one of the best teams this year in college football. Uh, nothing that I enjoy watching, but you know I have to give him credit where credit's due. Uh, he does have really good hands. He does. He the one thing he does lack is not parrying his feet and hands. So that's one of the number one things that when I'm trying to watch, and I see that like Jordan Elliott, who we'll talk about later, he does a much better job of like, you know, if he's going to swipe with his hands, his feet are also moving. Uh, Gallimore has a really, really good set of moves, but he just kind of needs to refine everything. Uh, and I, you you kind of said it really well, Jordan. One of the things that Oklahoma did is they did a lot of slants and gaps, and that's more of a, a way to get around having a weak defense. And so it's going to be interesting to see how in like a regular standard defense, he can st- uh, go up against straight uh, against guards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then some of the slants, like they did a lot of looping with him, which was really enjoyable to watch because he is a fast guy. He drives a fast car. He ran a four seven nine forty. And then he was able to create a lot of pressure way, way out there on the edge as well too. I think one of the important things that you mentioned, Jordan was his bull rush. He doesn't really drive the pocket at all, and I don't know if it's something that he can't do or if it's just like they ran a lot of three defensive line sets, and he wasn't there to create for other people, but he needed to get his own you know pass rush for Oklahoma and the way their defense was set up and so like he was really selfish as a pass rusher at o u where like he was getting one one versus one matchups so he had to win. And like he has three really good pass rush moves. He can club rip. He can spin. And like whenever he spins, like it actually is going forward. With his momentum. He does. He's not like just like a pig, you know, rolling around the mud like some of these like interior defensive linemen look like when they spin. And then I'm gonna can use also, that. Yeah, that's fine. Like, you are like an alligator death roll. Whenever you see a guy spin. And uh, he has a good arm over as well, too. And so, like, I think in the NFL, he'll probably be a one-gap defender. So, like, he'd be a 3-4 under and play the Leo. He'd be the three technique in uh under defense as well too. He, or mm-hmm. he'd, be the, he'd, be the, he'd be the three technique in a 4-3 over. Um, and even, like, a lot of 3-4 defenses, I think he'd be a defensive end who just plays one gap and shoots it. And, uh, you know, he, he gets seen up in the run game a little bit. But, again, like, how much of that, though, is just kind of like the way Oklahoma played you know, it's kind of hard to, to pick apart the difference of it. But I think he's a very good, you know, interior defensive lineman and he'll be able to uh, create a pass rush, you know, kind of immediately. And he's also a guy who's older, being a fifth year senior who, you know, like he's maybe more filled out than some, some of these other guys where you're not having to bank on potential and you kind of like have somebody who can be good uh, kind of immediately too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important thing is that he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be more ready day one to contribute to pass rushing. And I think one thing we talked about the slants and the stunts kind of being a negative but also a positive and i think one thing we could have done with our pass rush being so bad recently and else number one not having the guys to do it like you said kind of like slanting is kind of what you do when you don't have a good d-line to try and hide that and i think that that's something we could have done better at um so hopefully we Weaver um puts that into the defense but i think yeah he'd be great with his four seven nine forty you know normally i don't care about but how defensive linemen run their 40 because like, when are they ever actually running 40 yards down the field so i don't really care but with gallimore he had such a high or such a quick um 40 and it really showed up on tape just seeing him on those stunts or even chasing down running backs when he could get into the backfield and be able to chase them down so yeah gallimore could be a slam dunk uh, pick at 40 for me
0: yeah i think i kind of disagree with you guys on some of these guys because i'd be fine with gallimore i'd be fine with elliot um you know Mad Bouquet. Whenever it comes up to him, I I need to watch more of him. And then like Blacklock's kind of weird too. But like if they get any of those guys at forty, yeah, I'd rather trade down and get one of them. But uh, you know, I think out of the bunch, like Gallimore and Elliott to me are the two best ones. But even if they took like you know Blacklock or Mad Bouquet at number forty, I wouldn't hate it. I do think those guys may be available at like you know fifty five or fifty seven, like you mentioned earlier too.
1: Yeah, for me, um, if there was one pick that I would absolutely hate us making, and I've seen it a lot in a lot of mock drafts, is Matabuike, uh, the DT from and I just, I absolutely hate his tape. I guess I'm not going to go too in depth next. We'll get into him later, but I, that's the one pick I would absolutely hate.
0: Okay. Yeah. Hold that thought. So the next guy we have here is Rayquan Davis from Alabama. He's six foot six, 311 pounds. So like, this is a guy who's built like DeForest Buckner, like Eric Armstead, like these big interior defensive linemen. You can play a variety of positions. They're kind of like going to be all the rage after San Francisco's uh, Super Bowl run last year. Kind of like how speed is on the offense, like big versatile defensive linemen are going to be kind of like the rage for, you know, this class. And I guess the NFL moving uh, forward as well, too. The bizarre thing about him, though, is that all of his combine testing was negative except for his size. So like his, his three cone, his shuttle, his jumping, his vertical, um, his you know, he had long arms, but like he's big, but everything else didn't really pan out that much. Another weird thing about him, too, is that he had a great sophomore year. His junior year, he dropped off. His senior year, he dropped off to only having um, a half of a sack, three tackles for a loss and 47 tackles. And so like, the production has been slowly waning as well, too. Uh, maybe he's kind of like checked out and kind of tired of playing college football. I don't know what the answer is, but like there are red flags here with uh, with Davis and uh, he doesn't really play up to his size and his ability week in and week out too. Uh, so Kenneth, what do you think about Raekwon? Do you, do you like watching this guy play? So
2: whenever I was watching him, I'm seeing him in this sparkly helmet and he reminds me of Kalias Campbell and I, number one was like, wow, if he reminds me of Campbell, I wonder if the Jags would take him. Well, the Jags have the number two pick in the second round. So I am ready to see him in a Jags uniform and I would clap if he's, if he's their pick. Um, he, he is. He took over the DeRon Payne role at Alabama and really didn't do much with it. You no, know, he definitely has some interesting height, weight, speed intangibles, but there wasn't anything that popped off the tape. He kind of just clogged the middle and let everyone else around him freelance while he just kind of like just required someone to 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 take care of him um, from with his tape in terms of pass moves. He really was like a one-trick pony in what he was able to do in, in the bull rush. And if someone got into, inside of his pads, it was like the game was over. There really wasn't anything that he could do. Um, I didn't really see that second level of effort. Uh, but there is a lot of tools to work with here. It just depends if he, you know, if he peaked when he was nineteen or if he's gonna peak when he's like, you know, twenty-seven. I can't tell that just yet.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> for me, um, I think he's actually one of the most day-one ready. Run stuffers that we're going to talk about today. I think he's got really good technique there, where he'll consistently like shoot his arms into an offensive lineman's chest. He'll punch them. He'll stack the block, and he's he's pretty good at finding the ball and getting off the block. Um, I think he's versatile, where he can play in a one-tech role, kind of take on double teams or nose tech role, or he can two-gap as like a kind of a three-four defensive end. Uh, the thing with him is that yeah, he's not going to give you basically anything in terms of pass rush. He has one move that I've seen where. He'll kind of stack a block, and then once he reads that it's not a run, he'll pull on the offensive lineman's jersey. And he's so strong that he can like, just pull an offensive lineman into the dirt and get past them. But I saw that literally like three times maybe in the three years of tape that I watched with him. And so, yeah, Matt, you make up a you bring up a really good point that he's basically the same player, if not worse, all throughout those three years in college. And if you're going to Alabama and you're getting probably some of the best coaching in the entire college football how are you not getting any better? And so that's what really, really worries me about Davis: is is he going to be receptive to NFL coaching? Is he going to get better, or is he just going to stay this same player who's just a pure run stuffer and, and doesn't really do much else for you?
0: Yeah, like I think there's a a really good player in there somewhere. I just think there's a big bust potential with him. And you know, if you taking him at forty, where you need a starter immediately for Houston, I don't really dig him there. But I think like if he went to Baltimore in the second round, he just seems like one of those laboratory guys that, you know, they create and they, you know, develop and turn into an all-pro, not all-pro player, but a Pro Bowl player, you know, in two seasons or whatever. Like, I think he could be kind of like how Brandon Williams was there, where he's like a really great run stopper who can get, you know, five and a half sacks a year or so too. Um, I I, I agree with you with the run defense stuff as well. Like, whenever his pad level's good, he can really take on double teams well. But whenever he gets high, he can get get eaten up by them as well. Uh, And also, I like him whenever he takes on a block and sits and then finds the ball he's not gonna like he doesn't like do a lot of shooting the gap and making plays in the backfield sort of things but he's like a, a textbook run defender where he holds his block stacks it and then waits for the running back to get close to him to make a play on it um but he is weird like there's a there is a really good player in there somewhere I just don't know if it's ever gonna come out and what it would take for it. Especially like you mentioned Jordan where, you know, at Alabama, the coaching he had, if he didn't improve there, what's what's it gonna be like, you know, at the NFL level. Um, Kenneth, do you think he can, you know, provide any sort of pass rush production at all in the NFL? Yeah,
2: I think so. I mean at six foot six, you're gonna be able to you know, to get somewhere with that much size. Um every time I see him making moves like it's very laborious there's nothing that is smooth he does have the the, the traits and i think that you know i don't know if this is the best franchise for him he would definitely learn well under jj watt but i don't think he's going to be the person that's okay he's going to uh, pass the rush from the uh pa- pressure the quarterback from the interior of the defense i think he's more of an asset than anything else in the run game but once he gets set it's it's really hard to see how well he does against like double teams and being able to like create something for his own. So I think there is something there and that's kind of like where we're all netting out, but I I think his, his seal, he has lowered his own ceiling.
1: Yeah. I think for me, um, if he were, if we were to draft him, the one thing that's making me confident, like we were talking about his coaching and stuff is if there's one position coach for the Texans that I'm confident in, it's our D-line coach with Weaver. Because he's taking guys like... like I think it's easy to forget that DJ Reader was a fifth-round pick when he was coming out of college, and he wasn't really some heralded prospect. And we turned him into... I think he's at the highest-paid nose tackle right now. And guys like Brandon Dunn, he's not anything great, but he wasn't anything coming out of college. And he's kind of turned into like a starting nose tackle for us last year. Even getting like Omenahu, he looked pretty ready as a fifth-round pick last year. He had some nice contribution for us. So I think... Yeah, if there's one position coach that I like for us, it's, it's our D-line. And so maybe he can mold uh, Davis or some of these other guys into something great.
2: Yeah, yeah easy, even like Carlos Watkins is doing well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest Watkins fan, but I hated his tape coming out of college. And he's he's decent in the run game. I don't think he really gives us anything in the past game. But yeah, I definitely i am with you there. Yeah,
0: yeah I, don't, I, don't, the I don't, don't dig Watkins very much. I But like Reader, whenever he was picked in the fifth round... I couldn't believe he was a fifth-round selection because he had really great video. Cognitively really took re- Justin Reed in the third round also. I couldn't believe they were able to get him there because it was, his college tape was really great too. Um, but yeah, like I think Davis would be an incredible third-round pick, but it's not a pick in number 40. I'd like to see Houston make. And I think for the right team, like there's a really great player in there somewhere. It's just so, like if a team is going to be able to extract it or not. And uh, I think there's a big bust potential here with Davis, but he is interesting. He's a really interesting player, even if they're like his last year in Alabama, it seemed like he left a lot on the table. So the next player we have here is Jordan Elliott from Missouri. He's six foot four, three 302 pounds. Last year he had 44 tackles, 8.5 tackles for a loss, 2.5 sack, sacks, 3.5 uh, sacks, I mean 2.5 sacks. And it seems like that sack number is pretty low for him. Because he had a lot of pressures. He got a lot of movement. Um, he was a, a really good interior pass rusher last year. And so, Jordan, you wrote about Jordan Elliott last week and published a really great film, room on him. Uh, can you give us a summary of the article that you wrote?
1: Yeah, sure. I think Elliott, for me, he's the second best um, interior pass rusher that could be available at 40. Um, in terms of taking him at 40, I'd probably rather trade down. Hopefully, he could be there at 90 even. But uh, in terms of a summary... Yeah, he's he's a great athlete, kind of like Gallimore in that sense where he's quick off the snap. Um he, he's pretty fluid. Like Kenneth said, he he knows how to like time his or not tie, but um yeah, sorry, tie his feet to his hands or sorry, to his uh yeah, that's what I meant anyways. Um, you got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, he's got a wide away array of pass rush moves. I really like his like swim moves, his clubs, he's showed good swim moves. Um so yeah, I think he's a really good pass rusher. He's also pretty decent in the run game. The one thing with him is he's not going to be someone you want taking on double teams, but if he's just got a one-on-one block, he's going to be pretty good at not getting pushed back. He's going to stack it and shed it occasionally. The the thing with Elliot is he was a one-year starter at Mizzou, and that's where all of his um, production came from, is just that one year. And so he doesn't know a lot of like the nuances of the game. He's pretty raw. I would say his motor is kind of on and off. He's a pretty inconsistent player, but he's young, and he still has a lot of room to grow, a lot of potential. So I would really love him as a pick. Um, he's really one of my favorite guys if he's there at 90. Yeah, I think he'd he, be a great pick. He,
0: he also, he went to UT and then he actually sat out to transfer to Missouri to play behind that same defensive line coach that I guess he really liked. So he lost a year you know, having to sit down and play scout team and I guess he was a really great scout team player that year too um yeah i I agree with you especially about the double teams like he's i think he's a good run defender in one versus one situations but he bails against uh double team blocks he just either gets taken for a ride for four yards back or he just kind of like gets really wide and kind of scampers away from them i think he'd be really great against like kansas city but he wouldn't be really great against tennessee so like against spread offenses um, he'll be like a really big difference maker. I think he's a lot better whenever he's wider, when he's a three tech or like nicely when he's wider, but whenever offensive linemen have wider splits. So whenever there's like, you know, a foot and a half or two feet between the center and the guard compared to, you know, six inches. And so I think he really thrives well in space. And I think as long as he's playing against like more spread offensive teams and more uh, kind of high flying teams where they have only five offensive linemen, you know, set or, you know, only 11 personnel, those are like more situations where I think he could be a plus player, um, especially like a lot of the pass rushing stuff you mentioned. I liked his extension that he gets and he has a good chop rip, a good like yank arm over as well. And I like his, his spin move too. And so he can do a variety of different things. I just think it kind of like depends on who the opponent is, not necessarily the scheme that he's playing in on how much of an impact he's going to make week to week. Um, can I led you think about Elliott?
2: Yeah, Matt, that's a really good way to put it. He's he's not going to be your number one. He's a like he'll make if he gets drafted and like the I don't think he'll make it to us at ninety. He'll put, if he's taking around like the sixtyth, seventieth pick, it, he'll make any GM look very smart. Um, again, very much run dependent versus pass dependent. He has all the moves to be a top line like pass rusher, but doesn't really have the production to back it up. You know, only like two and a half sacks, like you said. Uh, and you know he didn't grade out that well in the combine, so you really have to question like how like if if he's this physical on the film, but it's not really showing up off off the film and and some of these workouts. So I can see a lot of teams either loving him or hating him. Uh, he, you know he's he's really got some good bend. He really knows how to like work his way around an edge, and so that's going to really benefit him once he is getting into some of these pass rush situations. Um, and yeah, I couldn't imagine him playing against like T uh, Tennessee and getting pushed back three three yards in the, into the into a linebacker. But I mean, he's going to be a a fun player to watch. I think as as he grows up, he does have a lot of uh, moves in his repertoire.
0: So the the other thing I like about him too, I think he's really slippery, and I like his leverage also um jordan do you think do you have any concerns like if houston took him and they're playing against the power run schemes that indy has that jacksonville has even though jacksonville's you know like their power run scheme isn't very good but they like to run the ball a lot um in indy even they have a big power run scheme do you think that would be a problem at all for elliott in the nfl
1: yeah i was actually going to bring up the point that you said that he's really slippery um i think that shows up more in the past game than the run game In terms of that type of uh, power run game, I think he's a guy that you kind of have to hide on your defensive line in the run game, where, like we said, you don't want him taking on double teams. So we have Brandon Dunn who can do that. We have Timmy Jernigan who, when he's healthy, he's pretty good against the run. So I think Elliott's someone you can hide and bring him in, at least on day one, more of a sub-package rusher, and he'd be really great at that. Um, In terms of playing on uh, run games like first downs, second downs, if you want to play him there, then I think you have to kind of play him on like the weak side of the alignment where you don't really think that um, they're going to run to. And he kind of like can be on that backside and kind of slip through the blocks and kind of chase the running back from behind because he is pretty fast and pretty quick in doing that. So I think that's where you kind of have to play him.
0: Yeah, where he can like sit against quick backside double teams and kind of let him flow past and then sit and wait for cutbacks and sort of thing. Yeah. I see him doing yeah. that. And he and he can play multiple gaps too. Like He has good lateral movement. I kind of wish I had the... I'm, in previous years, we kind of got it for free, like the the almanac from Pro Football Focus and the thing that Sports Info Solution does too. And they have all the the char, like all the pressure numbers and all that sort of stuff. And I really wonder what Elliott's pressure and quarterback hit hit numbers were because, like, even though the sacks aren't there, he did create you know a ton of pressure. He was able to uh, kind of really disorientate quarterbacks where, like, he has an indirect effect, not like a box square effect, kind of like how uh, Javon Clowney tends to have too. So the next player we have here is Ross Blacklock, a defensive tackle from TCU. He's 6'3", 290. Last year at TCU, he had 40 tackles, nine tackles for a loss, and three and a half sacks. Um, Kenneth, I know you're a Big 12 guy. What did you think about Ross Blacklock as you watched UT play against him last year and uh, whenever you watched Blacklock kind of play in general?
2: Yeah, the Big Twelve is so hard to watch because, especially for these defensive linemen, because you know, the ball's coming up so quickly, and they're they're all starting to lean up. You, you're not going to see Gallimore kind of like a unique person now because you're not going to see guys who weigh, weigh over three hundred pounds. They need to be able to move. They need to be able to get off the ball and help out in other aspects. So Blacklock's one of those types of players who's six three, two hundred ninety. Um, he, he's pretty young, but he really hasn't been able to put too much together. Um, TCU didn't ask him to do too much in the pass rush, uh, but he was all run stopping, which makes sense, I guess, in, in the Big 12. Uh, really, his goal was, again, a gap integrity without being able to create uh, upward field motion that creates like a lane for a running back to slip into. Uh, I didn't enjoy his tape. I liked it more than uh, Matabuke, who I know we'll be talking about soon. Uh, there isn't too much to he brings in, like, terms of like hand placement in terms of getting a player off of his body, but he definitely shows some really good strength once like the running back is right next to him to shed the block, make a play and you know turn a turn a seven yard run into like only a three yard run.
0: What are your thoughts on Jordan?
1: Yeah, for me, Black Hawk, I'm definitely not as high on him as others i've been seeing him sneaking sneaking into the late first or kind of early second that range and i don't know i just would not really like that pick at all for us for me he's pretty raw he's more of like an athlete than he's a football player right now i think yeah kind of like you said it's like his hand placement isn't very good i don't think he's very good at using them and for me the main thing with him is that he's just super super inconsistent uh, i think i watched five or six games of his of this year and i really only liked one of them i only liked his game against Purdue. And in that game he was he was basically unblockable like they could not stop him he got in the backfield a lot and he was pressuring the quarterback a lot but um other than that he just kind of disappeared for me a little in the other games um so I think he's kind of in the mold of like a Gallimore where he's more athletic and he shows some flashes of using his hands but he's just not nearly as consistent right now and I think um I guess he can get coached up to that so I guess he's more of a potential pick right now I think he's going to need I don't think he's someone who'd be ready Definitely not day one, maybe not even year one. That's that's my thoughts on Blacklock.
0: Yeah, and he is only 21, and he had an Achilles tear that kicked him out of his 2018 season. So there there may be improvement here. um Blacklock is interesting to me mainly because the single best skill I've seen from any of these interior defensive linemen has been Blacklock's pad level. Like he's he's so good at playing low. He's so good at using leverage to his advantage. Like he's able to sit there as a one tech and split double teams and get in the backfield, make plays in the back and make tackles for a loss. And like, I, it's just like rare to see a guy who like understands pad level that well. And like, it's good too where he's able to like use his, his smaller, his smaller height and his arms to use long arms to create leverage and kind of use that to rush the passer as well. Uh, I just don't know like where this is going to be in the NFL with him though. 'Cause even though he is smaller, he's six three, two ninety, the explosive numbers really weren't there at the combine at all. And it's like I don't know what you do with a undersized defensive tackle who plays really low to the ground. Like he's great at doing that and it's a, a really like a special skill that he has. I just don't like I don't know where you're gonna put him in at in your base defense and then even he's like not the not like a special pass rusher enough where you have to have him out there. On uh, third and long, those sort of situations too. But that one thing, though, it's he's really great at doing it, and I hope he has success in the NFL. Um, because it's it, it really is kind of fun to watch him like be you know a foot and a half off the ground and split the guard and tackle and you know, dive at uh, a running back's legs, make a play back there. But I just don't know where it's going to translate there at, at the next level. Do you agree with that assessment, Jordan?
1: Oh yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> win. Um, yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. I think. Uh, he would be one of the picks that I, I really wouldn't like for us. I know Bill O'Brien mentioned that interior defensive line is going to be one of our biggest needs to try and fill DJ Reader's hole. But, um, and I think they would look at him as someone that they could build and kind of develop. But I just I really hope they don't take that route. I think that he's going to take some time to develop. And maybe one day he could be a good player, but I don't know. At least at 40, I would definitely want someone who's ready day one. And I just don't see that being Blacklock
0: yeah i just i don't like even for any team out there I don't really know where exactly he would fit in at like i i want him to have success because he is a interesting player to watch. I just don't know exactly uh like where like which sort of scheme he fit in which team it makes a lot of sense for him to be there uh what what would work for him I think he will surprise teams at the next level um just because of how good he is with leverage and that sort of thing so the next player we have here is Justin Matabuke from the defense tackle from A&M. So, Jordan, let me know why you dislike him so much.
1: Yeah, so I I just watched another one of his games um, right before we got on this call, and, uh, man, he didn't do a single thing. He didn't didn't do anything. He looks like a guy who is kind of lost out there on the field where he doesn't know what he's doing. He isn't playing with, like, a plan at all of what he wants to do. He's just kind of – he lines up. Snap the ball and he just goes and runs into an offensive lineman. And that's about it. I don't see him using a bull rush. I don't see him using any swim moves, anything really, any password moves at all. I think a lot of the things that people get excited about him is that he's a great athlete. And I see that. But I also see a guy who's kind of just like stocky and kind of slow. And he doesn't have good like bursts off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't use his quickness. Like he may have tested pretty well, but I don't see that translating to the film. And so I think he's a really raw guy. I don't think he's going to be ready day one or year one. I think he's going to take some major time to just sit on the bench and learn from players and coaches. And um, yeah, so I, re- I really don't like Madibuye. But how about you?
0: Yeah, when I I watched him, I kind of felt like that too. Where I was like, what? Did, I don't see where where the plus. Like I don't see any him making any plays. I don't see him really doing anything at all. Like I'm just kind of bored sitting here watching him. And there just wasn't also a lot of video of him at all out there too. And so it was kinda of hard for me to find you know enough video for me to like he's definitely something I want to watch more of, and so like I went back and I saw like his highlight video I saw some of these like really big plays that people would post on the internet, like the draft like you know experts and that sort of thing. I posted on twitter mm-hmm. like there's some really great flash plays there, but just from the video that I have available to me, there wasn't like you know enough there for that really wowed me at all whatsoever, but the foundations there like he's maybe the best athlete as far as his combine numbers go out of, you know, this entire group that we're talking about. But the production really wasn't there. Like the game-to-game and play-to-play disruption really wasn't there at all. Uh, I think he really is more of a project more than being like, you know, kind of like anything sort of finished. There's no like real pass rush moves I see at all from him either. And he seems like somebody that'd be perfect for Seattle to take. Uh, They tend to kind of love taking, you know, big explo like big defensive lineman who can rush the pass from the interior in the second and third round that sort of thing so i get and then they can mold him pretty well from there so i could see that like as being a fit but i don't really see in houston and it's somebody that i don't want to like this opinion be like really strongly taken up just because i feel like i didn't have enough information at my disposal to have a sound judgment on him
1: yeah I'm, I'm definitely with you on there on that i think i can only find three um games of him that i could watch um it's interesting you said about the highlights yeah i guess I, i'm not a big like highlights person going off that i'm sure you're not either um but that would be interesting to kind of see some of the splash plays maybe maybe i'll go check that out just to see i don't i try not to put a lot of stock into that but i literally saw nothing from him in um in his film i saw one sack where the qb was just sitting in the pocket for it must have been like 10 seconds and just <laughs> eventually he got to him so it's just it was crazy i didn't like his tape at all but um yeah what about you kenneth
2: uh, yeah, there wasn't anything that blew my mind. Uh, I definitely saw he picked his plays, which is not a really good sign. Um, not a, a big sideline to sideline guy. He kind of just trailed the play if it got past him, which it's not going to be inspiring. That's not going to be someone that Bill O'Brien is going to bring into this uh, franchise. Which you know I can't say who is going to bring into this franchise at all anymore. But that's just not an ideal type of uh, trade for us. Um, he did have solid sack production. He did have like a, pr- a very good combine. And uh, I don't remember. I don't believe he was at the senior bowl. I think he he left a year early. He's only a junior. Um, so like he did have some good production. He was on a good team. There, it will be interesting to see you know, who finds a role for him. Right now, uh, among this group of guys who he's built identically as, like they're all six foot three, two hundred ninety pounds. He's he's in the lower group of them. Uh, there wasn't anything that he's has flashed. It, it's just all kind of like this. Very average, consistent tape that doesn't show me anything that is inspiring. Um, didn't really like how he used his hands. Didn't think that he forced the offense to put play around him. It just kind of like happened every single game that, you know, he just was there. there it was very vanilla tape.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his his comps, I know you mentioned it, Kenneth, were uh, Ed Stinson, who is somebody like, I feel like I've watched before, maybe in 2015 or something, and it was like, oh, I kind of like that guy. But it may have been that Dream May just made it up in my subconscious. But Quentin Williams and Tyron Crawford are also comps for him, a corner mock draftable. And those are, you know, those are like plus players who were taken pretty early in the draft, too. Um, And yeah, I don't, I know you mentioned the highlight stuff, Jordan. I don't really watch it as well either, but, or I don't take a lot into it. But like if I'm, if I watch somebody and still kind of feel unsatisfied, uh i'll kind of use this like maybe dessert or something to go back and give another look at <laughs> if uh if i don't like feel like i know enough and you know with Matt bouquet i still feel like i don't know enough and the highlight plays are like really special but i just didn't see it all when i was watching play after play of him and uh you know it's it's weird he's kind of a weird guy and i don't i don't know i don't know enough at all about him and he's a guy that if houston did take F 40 I would try to, uh, you know, put myself out there some and try to see if I can get some behind you stuff and see what this whole thing's all about. Because going into this, I wanted to watch more of him and really have a chance to write about him, but there just wasn't enough there available to him. And what I did see was underwhelming, like you mentioned, Jordan.
1: Yeah, I think with the highlights thing, it's it's interesting. Um, it's one thing where, uh, how do I say this? It's a Sometimes place that I've start- seen. Yeah, it's a place to start, but it's definitely not something you can make your entire evaluation off of because it's interesting to see. You'll see the highlights. Obviously they're what there are. They're the highlights. They're all the good plays and you never see me the bad plays. So it's interesting to see kind of the paint, the picture that the YouTube highlights paint and then the actual film, what that shows. And for me at least, seeing highlights, it's one thing like I go into highlights, I'm expecting to see something good, right? And then there's been some prospects this year that I'll check out their highlights if I have some quick time on my hand, and then I'll be disappointed with what I see. So like if I don't even like your highlights, how the hell am I gonna like your mm-hmm. your game? you know what I mean? So I don't know, there's just a couple of those like prospects that I've seen. um but yeah, it's interesting,
0: yeah, Murchison's like that where I watch a hot video of him because there's only like one video, like one set of film to watch on him, and like it's you know six minutes long and two minutes of it is like the same play where he's chasing down Eastern Carolina's uh, quarterback on his own replay. It's like, okay, I, I kind of get it, you know? And, uh, and so like, yeah, it's a, if there isn't like anything really spectacular on the highlight plays, it kind of, it kind of like, it can put you in a, in a certain one direction or the other as well too. Um, so some of the miscellaneous guys from the list that we gave a look at were Devon Hamilton, Lecky Foto, Laurel Murchison, James Lynch and Jason Strobridge, of North Carolina. Is there anybody of this group that you really like, Jordan? And would you want to see Houston taking these guys, maybe in like you know the fourth or fifth round or so?
1: Yeah. So my guy on this list is definitely Davon Hamilton from Ohio State. I'm pretty high on him. I like him a lot more than some of the guys we mentioned before, like Blacklock and Matabuike. I think I would take him at ninety, honestly if he's there i really like his ability to come in day one and be a nose tackle for us and he'll be stout in the run game he can take on double teams he played nose tackle one tack and three tech for ohio state and i think he was really one of those guys who's like an unheralded defender i remember when we first drafted dj reader i remember just or jj watt he kind of said that he was like the unheralded guy and he opened up everything for the edge rushers and that's kind of kind of how i feel about hamilton where he, take, he took on all these double teams. He allowed Chase Young to roam free. He allowed the linebackers to roam free. And he's a really strong guy in the run game. And he's one of the very few guys who showed a decent bull rush for me to be able to collapse the pocket. And um, looking at his film, he didn't have a lot of film. He just had a couple games. But his one game um, versus Indiana in particular, he was just on block with that game. And he showed off a good amount of quickness as well. He's pretty quick for his size. He's pretty big at six four three twenty. So um so yeah, I like that a lot and he had good production, ten and a half tackles for loss, six sacks I'm seeing here. So yeah, he's definitely out of that group. He's he's my guy.
0: Yeah, I when I've watched Hamilton, I didn't really dig it all that much. I think he like he's strong, but I think he got moved way too much in double teams and even one versus one blocks in the run game. Um and like he had a really great combine show, but he just didn't play all that strong as well either. And then I a lot of his kinda of like sacks are kinda of like the college football sacks where the quarterback holds on to the ball for a while. And, you know, he kind of eventually wiggles his way back there after enough time. Um, and like again, for a guy of his size, like, I don't really see a lot of pass rushing juice. I think it was too easy to move him off the ball as well, too. You know, his size and strength as well. But he seems more like a, a pure nose tackle, you know, based off his profile. than, you know, some of these other like three technique, you know, we need a pass for a sort of guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely see that. I guess he's, he's one of the more inconsistent guys as well. So I guess it's really what games you saw maybe to get a really good opinion on him. Um, have you seen him at all, Kenneth?
2: Yeah, I really was watching his tape. He has a high motor, um, great tape against uh, Michigan. And, you know, if you have great tape against Michigan and, and you go to Ohio State, that's going to give you like this legendary status. Uh, really only like, one year of production, and that's just not his fault. Like There's so many so much great talent coming out of Ohio State right now. That like, just the fact that he's able to get like the production that he does, it's just like a testament to his uh, like the opportunity that he may have for a team in the NFL. Just like a mammoth person. And I'm I could really see a team putting a lot of like on him and a lot to package in. He can really like press, do a lot of pressure. I like him as a two technique. That's kind of where I saw him do the most work is really getting in the interior of a guard, getting them like, to turn their hips, and then working his way down the offensive line. Uh, he's going to be one of those players who, if you ask him to do too much, he's going to fall apart. But if you get him in the right position and surround him around talent that he's used to being surrounded around, he'll make a really good player. I uh, would also love to see him at 90. He'd be one of those guys that I would, I'd stand up and clap for. Uh, you know, he, He's had so much talent that he's played against and with that it's hard to see how he'll be able to transition all of that when he's on his own. Um, for me, the number one guy that I really enjoyed watching is Jason Strobridge from North Carolina. Um, I think he's had really good production. He kind of does occupy the same space as Charles and but but um, I think from his senior bowl tape that I saw, he's one of the guys that has a high, high ceiling heading into this draft.
1: Oh yeah, actually, I really like Strobridge. He was the he was gonna be the next guy I was gonna talk about. Um, he yeah, I did a breakdown on him on Twitter, and I compared him to kind of a more athletic Charles Menahou. He's got more quickness, more bursts, but he's that really like long, really long arms um, kind of tweener. He's a six four, two seventy five. So they U N C played him on the edge. They played him as like a three tech. They really played him all over the D line, and yeah. I I really like him. He's a really big boomer bust guy for me. I'd love him maybe in maybe like the fifth round. I think he's got a lot of potential. Oh yeah.
0: What uh what do y'all think about uh Foto? Because with him, like I think he could fill a need for Houston mainly because he's like a head down bull rusher. He's big. He's 6'5", 330 pounds. Um, he didn't bench all that well at the combine though. But like he would constantly, like not necessarily constantly, but like often enough, he would be able to you know be head versus the center and crater the pocket. And they get the quarterback moving backwards, that sort of thing. And like I really think that's something that Houston needs for the 2020 season because they gave Whitney Merciless 12 million dollars. And Merciless has a pass rusher. He's wide. He's looping. Like he does a lot of hand fighting. Does a lot of ripping um, against like a lot of tackles. It doesn't really mean much at all because they wash past the quarterback. But whenever you have DJ Reader, you know, move the guard back into Drew Brees, and Brees has to take three step backwards. Then Merciless has an actual impact on the game. And so like, I don't know if Foto could do that consistently enough at the NFL level, but like he actually, he did a little bit at um, Utah and he also kind of did some weird things too. Like Utah asked him to, where he would defend the quarterback on the keep of his own re like he did against Texas. Um, He took on double teams pretty well sometimes as well. He has good pass rush and extension. The biggest thing about him, though, is his pad level's bad. Like, he's way too high. He lets defenders get into his chest too much. And so whenever his pad level's bad, his entire game is you're screwed up and wonky. And uh, he can go, like, you know, he can be a big negative on play, a lot of plays just because he's playing way too high as well, too. Um, Kenneth, did you like watching Ph2 uh, at all?
2: I'm so. We've watched so much Utah film. Like, there's gonna be so many players drafted. Um, I wasn't too excited by Fotu's film. I think he was more of a product of the situation. There was uh, that defense was playing against just inferior opponents. Um, in this past season, they held teams to under 20 points 10 times that this year, which is just unprecedented. Like that, like for for Utah, they had a historic run, and he was definitely a part of it, but. I don't think he really has like the the technique yet, um, and they were up on so many teams this past year that he was just he knew that they were going to be throwing the ball against them, so he just kind of was able to run straight in the backfield, not really have to manage his gap integrity, which you need if you're going to be 330 pounds. Um, didn't entirely love his run uh, his run stopping tape. I thought he w- really would sometimes let smaller guys get inside of him. Uh, he can control his gap. But I don't really see him transitioning to like a two-gap technique. Uh, the Pac-12 really didn't push him in too many different assets and too many different ways. Um, he'll he'll be someone that a team will fall in love with, or he really fits a skill set for a lot of teams that are missing something, which I do, do include like the Texans within that. But there isn't too much on the tape that I fell in love with. I don't think he does a good job of pairing his hands with his pass rush. He kind of just was flailing his arm. Arms around a lot so I, I'm not too high on him but if he's in the fourth round I'd be could I'd consider him
1: yeah that's pretty much exactly what I was gonna say about him too I definitely I'd take him in the fourth round I think he has a potential to start day one as nose tackle um, I saw some good tape and I saw some some pretty bad tape on Fo. Too, he's one of the, another guy who's pretty inconsistent I think he was decent at stacking blocks and kind of like extending his arms out stack them but then he had a really big problem with getting off the block and even finding the ball to make a tackle. There was, I think it was, it was the Baylor game or something. I think it was his bowl game that he was just, that was in particular was really bad. He could not find the ball at all. He was just, he looked content to just stay in his block and let someone else make a play, which I guess there's a role for that just eating up blocks. But even with that, like we get, like we've been talking, he's not that consistent in doing that. So I don't know. I think, I think he's going to need some coaching, but I think I would be fine with him in the fourth round.
0: Yeah, I, I know Hunnam that says lots of meaningless backfield visits where he's back there and then he's kind of looking around. There's nothing around for him to do, um, you know, because he's not finding the ball. He's not making like a, an active impact in every single play. I just think for mm-hmm. him, like you know, we, you know, a lot of these guys just don't have like a really consistent bull rush and often enough from him compared to some of these other guys, he would just have his hands down, use good extension and you drive the center, you know, four yards backwards on pass play. And I've been kind of like, all throughout watching all these uh, interior defensive linemen, that's something I've been looking for. I think he provided more than the rest of him, but he definitely needs somebody to teach him and coach him how to play a better pad level and how to find the ball. And maybe that'd be Weaver. Maybe that'd be another team. Uh, So Jordan, my last question for you tonight is, so Houston picking at 40 and picking at maybe a hypothetical if they trade down 60 and then picking at 90, which guys would you like at each one of those kind of slots if we said 40, 60, and 90?
1: In terms of interior defensive line? Yeah. All right, 40. Definitely my only guy is Gallimore. I think he's the only one who is going to be ready day one and also has a high ceiling. Um, 60, I guess I would go, I wouldn't, for me it's between Elliott and it's between Raquan Davis. And I guess I wouldn't take the risk of waiting for Elliott later. I guess I would just take him then. I think that's pretty good value for him. And then you said 90, I would go Davon Hamilton. Or if Davis is there, I'd take him. Just because I think, like we've been saying, there is a player in there. I think if we can tap into his potential, he can be a lot better than a lot of these guys on the list. He could be potentially the best guy. He can be in that like Derek Brown level. Maybe not that good, but he can be really good. Um, so yeah, between him and Davon Hamilton for 90, and then I guess later in the fourth round, like FOTU would probably be that guy. Or Strowbridge, even around later than that, would be my really big sleeper.
0: Gotcha. And what about you, Kenneth?
2: Number one, I would say Gallimore. I think he'd be really great on this defense. I'd really enjoy to see him. Would hate to see a sooner, but you know what can you do? Um, I actually think Elliott will not be around by the 60th pick. Um, He's too many. He has too much to work with. Um, I would really enjoy. I could see him on the Texans, but uh, I think I can see him being taken mid second round. Um, in terms of the 60th pick, I I would. I'm gonna probably pass on both. Blacklock and Matabuke and I would like to see Devon Hamilton I would like to I could see Foto going that early but I don't think he'd be a fit for us um and then at 90 I could see Lynch and I could see uh Jason Strobridge
0: interesting um yeah we need to talk about Lynch and Lynch I don't know Lynch is uh like a really good like high effort motor guy who played a lot of like defensive end and Baylor's kind of like bizarre spread defense Big twelve, uh three three five and three two seven, the weird things they do there. So I I have Gallimore and Elliott at forty, I'd be good with. Um I'd be Blacklock, like, if it wasn't Houston, I think would be a good pick at sixtieth overall. But I just don't really I just I don't see where he really fits in uh for what the Texans do. And then uh I think I if Matt Buki gets picked by Houston at or Matt Bouquet, I should say, gets picked by Houston at sixty. I would feel indifferent just because I just, I feel like I don't know enough at all about him. Um, I think if Davis is picked at 90, you know, there'd be a party in Bill Bryan's back porch if that occurs. <laughs> and then I'd be fine with too in you know the fourth round or so. Um, yeah, you know, he's, I think he's good at doing like one thing. And again, if like his pad level gets better, there could be something more, you know, with him there. But like right now, it's just, he's just too high and gets moved around just a little bit too much.
1: Yeah. So, are you in the the camp that wants to trade down from forty as well?
0: Not? Yeah, I am. Just because a fifty pick gap is hard, and they just have so many. Like, they just need players in the pass defense, and even at cornerback, even I guess at you know, safety hypothetically now, um, a coverage linebacker would I think be helpful too. Because you know Cunningham and McKinney are a little redundant, and they both work out really well. And their their run stopping abilities can be even more important this year. Whenever you consider like how often Watt's gonna play on early downs, um also with Brandon Dunn being out there said DJ Reader, and so they're not gonna have it as easy of a time next year. And so if you can get like a third down, you know, coverage linebacker, that'd be beneficial too. And so yeah, like I'm I'm good for like I would like to see him trade down from forty to you know mid fifties, maybe pick sixty and then get another third or fourth round pick as well. Um and hopefully somebody falls in love with you know one of these wide receivers and just has to have them at forty and makes a it makes a scramble to get up there.
1: Yeah, I think um, something that's really interesting you mentioned is the coverage linebacker aspect. I definitely think we need something someone like that, too. Um, that's why bond is so high for me. But um, did you guys hear about the rumor that we could be sending Miami, um, Bernardrick McKinney for one of their – it was a pick, but um, the source wasn't like um, clear about which pick it was. But I'm assuming it's like a second or third rounder. That's what kind of the inclination was. Um, depending on – so, they, yeah, they are saying that we have a trade in place – if a certain player is on the board at the time where Miami's picking, we would give them McKinney.
2: I haven't heard that
0: at all. I heard the McKinney yeah. rumor like three or four months ago. And then whenever like free agency was like just starting to get going that he was on the trade block or whatever. And it's probably from that same source um, as well too. But like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff gets reported nowadays, especially from like non-media people and, a lot of it doesn't really come to fruition. So I, I could see McKinney getting traded, traded. I just don't put, like, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know enough at all to, to feel strongly about it happening.
1: Yeah. Um... Um,
2: I don't believe anything, honestly. Like, a Bill O'Brien would do anything. I mean, Benardrick is is great, but he's really starting to not fit the modern NFL anymore. Um, I, I would be pretty devastated. depends on, you know, how Dylan Cole progresses with his, you know, eighth injury in three years. But, like, it would be tough to see another you know, star Texan leave. But if they have something in place, it will be it will make for an interesting day, too.
1: Yeah, I really like McKinney. Um, I think he brings a lot, number one, with his run stuffing. But also, he's, like, he's the quarterback of that defense. He gets everyone lined up, gets everyone in position. And he kind of brings, like, some fire to the defense. And I really like that. So I think he brings value there. He's one of those guys, the few guys that, like, like, I make fun of, like, the Whitney Merciless signing because he paid him that much money to be, like, a team leader or a great locker room guy, whatever. But McKinney's one of those guys where I'd actually give him that that credit. I can see it. Um, in terms of the source, uh, do you guys know, like, uh, Storm, Texan Storm report? I've heard of it. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty big guy. He's got some inside, um, some people. Apparently, he got a text from a, a Texan scout saying that they had that deal in place if a certain player would be on the board. So, I don't know. I think it's. At least it's not just some random rumor that people are making up. There's some validity to it, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess like I, I can believe anything, but we, there wasn't really any inside information on the Hopkins thing until Peter King posted that, and that's been going for a while now. It seemed the Cooks trade, and I don't know, like a lot of the stuff that's kind of happened for Houston with trades, there wasn't really any information at all out there about it until it happened, and so I don't, I couldn't see McKinney. I don't think McKinney's gonna get traded, and I think it's like you mentioned like, the quarterback, the defense part, but also without Reader. Like his run stopping value is even more important, and I don't see Cunningham as a as a play side linebacker. Like Cunningham was great on the backside, just outrunning guards and tackles, trying to reach him and making you know, like free kill shots on the ball. But a lot of that was because you know McKinney's has a has the play side guard in his face, and he's knocking him into the offensive line again, and allowing um, Cunningham to get created as well too. And so I think if they did train McKinney with Dunn there and Nose tackle again, I think Houston may have like a a sub like you know twenty twenty five run defense next year. And how much? And I don't really even see that pass defense seeing an enormous improvement this year, even with the great draft. So. With that trade off of the coverage linebacker, I don't know if it'd be really worth it. The biggest thing I think would be the contract though, and shedding M- McKinney's salary. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that moving forward and getting a, a cheaper pick. That'd be the bigger value, but I think it would hurt Houston for this season if they did get rid, rid of McKinney uh, in a trade like that.
2: He's like five years, fifty million, right? It was a pretty simple deal.
0: I can I can pull it up real fast. It's I can't remember like that. i think it, it was like one six, of those
2: all I you know is the six, first thing that seven. all I know is the first thing that he did after was get a huge tattoo on his leg. I don't know why I know that, but it's one of those things that was ingrained in my mind, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I just like his aesthetic too like it looks like you could <laughs> run into him at a like a my chemical romance concert or something you know with the all well, the the black spiky bracelets and the 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 dark you know face paint that sort of thing, so he signed a five year extension fifty one million twenty one guaranteed and Houston could get out of it as early as this year and they would have, no, they could get out of it as early as next year. And so right now he still has about $11 million of bonus money on his deal. So they did cool. trade him. They had to eat $11 million to make that happen. But next year in 2021, they would have a cap savings of 7 million, then nine and a half million the year after that. But this year they would actually have a, a loss of 843,000 if they were to trade him this season. So I know. I can see McKinney get dealt this year, but maybe something moving forward and I think you have to have somebody like back there in a plan in place um to make that trade, you know, worthwhile. And I don't I don't I don't really dig it that much for this season.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that Bill Bryan said is that rookies aren't gonna have a lot of time to learn the defense, learn the uh-huh. offense or whatever it is. And I kinda I kinda agree with that. I don't agree with a lot of things he said, but that's one of the few things I did agree with. So I think trading a veteran leader who knows the defense? Who literally quarterbacks defense? Like we said, just isn't the best option to try and go with like a a young raw linebacker to try and um, uh, have them learn the defense too. So yeah, I don't I don't really see that happening too much. But it was just an interesting trade.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting conversation to have too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know for the source I have to go back through and see you know what's been Ryan what has been and see if there's any credence um, to have with that whatever is reported going forward there but uh jordan do you have any other any other thoughts before <laughs> any other texans thoughts before we end the podcast tonight
1: um no that's really it i'm just i'm just really excited for the draft i put a lot of work into this and a lot of stock and i got way too invested into this for my own good so i'm sure when friday comes friday's when we're making our pick i'm sure whatever pick it is i don't know i remember last year i got a little too worked up over the whole titus Howard thing and pretty upset over that so i don't know i hope it's different this year i hope he makes some good picks um yeah what about you guys
2: yeah i'm pretty excited about this draft this is like always one of my favorite times of the year I, i'm looking through your twitter right now you got a lot of content churning so you're doing doing a good job uh mm-hmm. I, i'm excited the, the draft is you know pure potential um you can it, it's hard to look stupid coming out of the draft somehow we did last year even when we did fill position by position what we needed I I think this draft is pretty deep. I don't think it has the talent as last year did. Uh, It's going to be very interesting how they do this all online. Uh, I've already seen things where, like, if a team's trying to to do a trade, that the clock will will not stop and like, so they they'll be able to continue to process a trade just given the the circumstances this year. Um, I I definitely can see the Texans trading down. Um, This year is going to be it's going to be fun. I'm excited to get some sports back. Can.
0: Yeah, the sports now are the NFL draft and the stock market and I guess the Michael Jordan documentary. <laughs> and those are all the kind of sports available to us. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for it too. And I know last year I was kind of similar with you, uh Jordan, where I you know did like the Howard pick and the Diller thing sucked. And the problem again, like those picks I think can work out. Like Sharping's a good guard. Um Howard is I think could be a, a really good right tackle. He has the body for it. He isn't doesn't know how to play a position just yet. But it was more like they didn't get a left tackle, and then they signed Matt Khalil, and then there was like a big cascading effect from there with the tensile trade too for it. So it was it was interesting how it all kind of worked out. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I think for the show this week, I think after the first draft is over, I like to you know do a ride up or even do a podcast for Friday morning, kind of talking about the options Houston has available at number forty, and then also in the meantime too, make sure to check out. Uh, jordan's twitter account at texans underscore thoughts where there's a lot of like you know really great like uh you know tweet threads about different prospects and stuff from everything from running backs to whatever and i know you have a, a film room out tomorrow who would that be on uh, jordan
1: yeah i found running back aj dylan from boston college and he was a really fun study for me um the crazy thing about him is if i'm someone that hates player comparisons I, I don't really like to use them at all um, but I just can't unsee him and Derek Henry. They're just so similar to me—how they're built, how they tested at the combine, and how their game works. And so, yeah, I'll have a article out tomorrow, hopefully, about that, so you can check that out. And my Twitter, thanks for shedding that out. Put a lot of work into that. Um, yeah.
2: I like I like AJ Dillon's film too from Boston College. He's had a really good year this past year, and I I think he'd be a good fit. Just like he's an NFL running back, which is so unique to see.
1: Oh yeah, he's a physical dude, and I think he'd be a great compliment to what we have with kind of our receiving backs and and the David and Duke Johnsons. Um, so yeah, he's kind of a da- a dude who Bill O'Brien he can just he can run him up the a gap fifty times a game, and he'll be good. He'll get that extra yardage for us, kind of what Carlos Hyde did for us. So yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for us.
0: Yeah, I think even like running back two is still important, to me because I don't see David Johnson as you know really much of anything at all after watching like his video from the last two years at Arizona, and so. Like this idea that he's a great third down running back, I think has been fabricated from, you know, Bill O'Brien's porch or from reading old Rick Smith's scouting reports from 2016. It's one or the other thing, but I think running back <laughs> could be an important fill as well too. So anyways, thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Jordan and Kenneth. Um, and so. Next time, I'm at Weston, and we'll try to, again, have uh, at least one or two more shows this week, either a mock draft or going back and previewing what options are available for Houston in the round two after round one comes to inclusion. <laughs>